Welcome to Real Asian Podcast. I am Raymond Liu. We've got Alan on the team. And I'd love to welcome back, and I'm so honored that she came back, Kat Kim. Good to see you again, Kat. Hi. Hi. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Today, I'm your cousin, too. <laughs> You're part of the family. Yeah, there. You can just join the cousin. Everyone that comes onto the show is a cousin. If it's just me yes. and Alan, another person, they're yep. just automatic cousins. We part should of the just family. continue that. Yes, exactly. So, um... For the for those of you who don't know, I met Kat during our Happy Cleaners episode. Kat was part of an amazing team that put out this amazing film called Happy Cleaners, which I saw that you guys are now on uh, Amazon Prime or Prime Video, right? Yes, we are. We are amazing. <laughs> yes. So for those of you who have not seen it, go check it out. I we highly recommend it. Here we did an episode on it, and it was a really fun recording. So really, anyways, I'm really honored and glad that you're back. But you're back to talk about another film. Yes. Today we're going to be talking about the iconic Joy Luck Club. Woo! Love this film. Some of some of our listeners probably might be wondering, <laughs> how did it take you guys this long to do Joy Luck Club? <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> oh no, here we go. So fun fact, Joy Luck Club was actually the very, very first recording we did. It was the very first episode. And Kat, I think I told you this during our Happy Cleaners episode, uh -huh. right? Yeah. We put out, this was our very first recording. However, the reason why people don't know that is because I never released it because it was so bad. <laughs> it, was, it was quite rough. Wait, why was it rough? Go ahead, Alan. <laughs> I mean, it was like three Asian dudes talking about a movie that we really had no business talking about. It was our first recording. And, um, you know, to Raymond, to Ray's credit, we, he worked out a lot of kinks in our delivery and, and how we told the story so that we could at least sound mm. better in future episodes. So this is our redemption <laughs> arc. This is the comeback. Oh, good. 28 yeah, to 30. <laughs> Glad to be part of it. Yes. So we did a we did fairly better. And now it's not three Asian dudes. It's two Asian dudes and one female. <laughs> how, how, however, however, also Renee was supposed to be on this recording, but mm -hmm. she has some personal manners to attend to. So she won't be joining us today. But we miss R Renee wanted to talk about this film. And I also asked Renee, I'm like, hey, we can totally postpone if need to. And she's like, no, 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 like, go on without me. So uh, we're going to do this episode. And in, in good spirits and, and get Renee's spirit mm -hmm. in this movie or in this discussion because I'm sure she would have had a lot, a lot of good things to say. Oh, man. We miss you, Renee. We miss you, Renee. So, uh, let me go ahead and just go through a quick synopsis of the movie. Now, the movie is very hefty, if you will. So, I am going to gloss over a lot of details, just, <laughs> just FYI, but just to kind of get the full essence of the movie, all right? We are introduced to June, who is preparing her trip to China, surrounded by many friends and family. June sits down with her close aunties for a game of Mahjong, where we learn June's mother has passed away recently, and that her trip to China is to tell her long-lost sisters of their recent loss. We are then taken through four mother-daughter stories to tell their distinct life stories, starting with Lindo and Waverly. So... When Auntie Lindo was a young girl back in China, her mom gave her away to be an arranged marry, uh, to be arranged married, there you go, uh, set up by what they call matchmakers. During her marriage with her husband, she is tormented by her mother-in-law because Lindo is unable to, and also because she doesn't want to, produce uh, grandsons for her. But in a cunning plan, Auntie Lindo is able to escape her situation. Now we meet Lindo's daughter, Waverly, who was expected to be a chess prodigy, except for the fact that Waverly has no desire to play chess. 
Um, I thought it was funny how in the scene where she's like, I'm never going to play chess again. And then like <laughs> and then the next day she's like, <laughs> the next day she's like, okay, I'm sorry. I, what I said yesterday, I was feeling a type of way, you know. <laughs> oh, I love that scene. Um, so we see Waverly as an adult, still struggling with, still struggling to connect with her mom, believing nothing she does will ever make her happy. But finally, they have a breakthrough and repair their relationships. So that's Lindo and Waverly. And then we move on to Auntie Yingying and her daughter Lena. So it tells a story of young Yingying in China being seduced by a brazen bachelor who eventually marries and have a son with her. And he he seduces her by taking a chunk out of a watermelon and biting it. Yeah. I don't actually is that is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> Kat, is that a thing? I don't know. Is that, like, would that sexy? I mean, would you find that sexy? I don't yeah, would know. that turn you on or I no, I mean Russell Wong. <laughs> Russell Wong. He was just so he was so greasy in that scene yeah. that I just feel like bashful every time I watch <laughs> it. <laughs> You're like, oh my Jesus! There's a lot of hair product in that. In yeah. That hair. <laughs> However, since the start of their marriage, Ying Ying's husband has been cheating on her, sometimes very blatantly right in front of her. So one day, while she is bathing her son, she falls into this deep trance-like depression and accidentally drowns the baby. Ying Ying states on that that on that day she lost her spirit, therefore is unable to give spirit to her daughter Lena. So back to present day in San Francisco, Lena brings her mother into her new home. Her mom notices a note that tracks and equally splits all of Lena and her husband Harold's expenses. Yet deep down, Lena hates this, and her mother senses it. So one night, Lena confronts Harold about their loveless marriage and wants to be with someone who can give her some good old TLC. Uh, jumping back at the farewell party, though, we do see Lena with another man. <laughs> what happened to Harold? God. Poor Harold. <laughs> Harold is such a perfect name for that character, too. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So now we move on to Anmei and Rose. Anmei tells her story about her mother was one of the three concubines to a rich man. Due to this bleak situation, though, her mom ends up killing herself by ODing on opium. At her funeral, uh, young Anmei puts a curse on the whole family for mistreating her mom. Uh, and Anmei's daughter, Rose, is married to a no- very known and wealthy white man named Ted. During their relationship, <laughs> during their relationship, oh, Rose yeah. plays the role of the appeasing wife, doing whatever necessary to make her husband happy. Yet this works against her in a way because as her husband her husband starts to feel like she's lost her fire that attracted him to her in the first place. As they're sorting out the splitting of assets and everything, Rose finds her fire and tells Ted to fuck off. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, she tells her, she tells Ted that her love for him should not be any less worthy than his love for her. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is a great line, by the way. Yeah. We then see Rose and Ted back at the going away party, all well and good. At least we think so. Who knows? We can dissect that in a way too. Okay. Lastly, the last pair, mother daughter, Suyan and June. So Suyan, Jun's mother, is escaping the Japanese invasion of China with her two baby daughters. After falling ill and her carriage breaking down, she's forced to leave the two babies behind and her possessions, hoping someone is capable to be able to rescue her daughters. Suyan makes it, though, and has a humble life in America, raising her American-born daughter, Jun. As a young girl, though, Jun felt she was never able to meet her mother's expectations, which haunts her all the way to adulthood. 
One day, she confronts her mom about it, and Suyan clarifies that she has always been proud of June because she has the best heart out of all of them. June finally arrives in China, meets her long-lost sisters, telling them that she is now carrying on her mother's spirit, and they have a very touching moment. The end. Wow, that was a great summation. Incredible. Incredible. I had to cut out a lot of things. I had to cut out a lot of things. (laughs) So we're going to go right into our big take. Alan, you have the floor. What's your big take from Joy Luck Club? It it took me a minute to really think about the big takeaway for this movie, but Joy Luck Club focuses on the complex relationship between mother and daughter and the inherent bond that's always held them together despite generational, cultural, and traumatic conflicts in their lives. The movie navigates through different narratives, giving the viewer a chance to experience a discombobulated beauty that displays elements of gravity, levity, and profound charm. So what is the most profound and important takeaway from this film after watching it again for a couple times? It's mother and daughter relationships, storytelling and traditions, immigration, language, and mistranslation, and miscommunication between those mistranslations and fate and autonomy. These themes are so beautifully wrapped in a a movie made in 1993. Wayne, the director, what an amazing job trying to find a way to weave all this this discontented storytelling aspects into a beautiful film. And what a great job by Amy by writing such an amazing novel that so many Asian Americans relate to, especially around this time in 1993 when we were trying to understand where we belonged in the world, in this new country, where our parents didn't know where they belonged and where our kids belonged as well. Very, very beautiful movie and and novel. You know, Alan, um, your take on mistranslations, you know, I think that is probably one of the most important aspects about this film. I think one of the reasons that really connected me with it, I mean, there's so many times in conversations or just understanding, trying to understand our parents and my parents and my mom. She says one thing, I take it as another. I say one thing, she takes it as another. Mm -hmm. And we end up kind of disagreeing on things or just getting a little bit, at least for me, getting a little bit peeved on, you know, small Mm -hmm. things. But it's one of those things where it's hard to kind of capture on screen, especially when you have a book that is so robust, like Joy Luck Club. So, be able to translate that and communicate that on screen, I think, was one of the things that really felt like is the most biggest staying power of this of this movie, you know? Yeah. And, and Kat, I don't want to speak for your experience, but for, for mine, it's very similar to, well, we're family, so yes. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, the, the challenge is when I rewatched the film, it, it, there were scenes in there where mother and daughter just like it wasn't that they they hated each other per se it's the fact that they were speaking over each other not realizing that they were mistranslating what they were trying to say to each other right and, and growing up like there are elements in my life where i meant to say something to my mom and dad and they said something else that i misunderstood i couldn't translate it correctly and then it just it, it grew this frustration that that divided our relationship that i've worked so hard to repair as i've gone older right and piggyback Piggybacking off of what both of you guys are saying, it's a lot of the things that Asian uh, families, a lot of the things that they say, but what's in what they're not saying also Mm. that Mm. is received very, you know, 
we we receive it so erroneously, and because right. of that, because we don't communicate with each other, it leads to so many years of misinterpretation misinter- and mm. receiving that information wrong. And it's just similar to what you guys have been saying too. The stuff about the things that aren't said, because yeah, you know, my my parents are rarely ever explicit. Like I realize that now, not not being able to communicate or understand that, and they try to subtly say things by asking certain way uh, questions and right. saying certain right. things but again it kind of goes back to just like oh i didn't how come you I, I didn't mean to how come you're saying things like that just because i didn't go to a really good college or something like that you know and you know asian families we are notorious for passive aggressivism oh and that's oh, just yeah. and that's just like another layer of you know what we're not saying that really hurts one another and we're just like placing assumptions on one another's mm. actions and you know what we're not saying yeah one last thing about your big take alan the mother daughter relationships you know during this time and and i'm sure we'll dive deeper into it too is you know this this was rare at the time yep. you know um female representation asian female representation in hollywood at this point was pretty much uh, either the the subservient type or the prostitute or the dragon lady right and so yeah. for this film to come out to show a different light and more real light a more rel- like a relatable light mm-hmm. and a non disparaging light was amazing yeah totally agree and i love the fact that um it was the first time i felt recognized as a 10 year old girl and I know I'm Korean and the ladies are Chinese, but to see non-caricatured female actresses and female images, I just felt, wow, this is, I just feel recognized and I just feel acknowledged in this world. So yeah, it, It's crazy to me, uh, last point on this, is that when this was made back in 1993, I, I mean, I read the novel too when I was in, I think, middle school. And, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, is this not the norm? Because young, I was ignorant, I didn't know. But to realize that this film was being was able to be made at this time made such a profound impact on cinematic representation of Asian women. But then the fact that we never really got another good follow up to this ever since '93, like it's it's kind of crazy to me because these stories mean so much to so many people, um, specifically especially Asian women. But there's never been follow-up uh, until like, I don't know, I guess like Crazy Rich Asians until something like, I don't know. It's just crazy that we haven't had good female Asian re- Asian female representation since then. Uh, let's go into our love it and leave it. Kat, as our special guest, would you like to go first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are so many aspects of this film that I do really love, but I must reiterate. I saw an entire cast of eight females, right? They're the main ones, right? Four moms and four daughters. And they were not caricatures. They were not caricatures in their physical appearance or what they were representing. And they really kicked ass. Every single one of those moms, their past stories, Mm. that backstory, like it just hit me. And it gave me a glimpse into a world that I wouldn't have known, which was a mother's past. Like, as second generation female, Asian American females, like, I know that story and I relate to that better, but to know what their past was, I just thought that was powerful. And that I really, really, really loved. Um, another thing, I, I, one more. Oh, oh yes, of like course. One you second. absolutely yeah. loves it. I you're, love you're, you're, loves it. <laughs> I loved it. So I really loved it. And I've 
I'm going to be real right here. If I can't be real on real Asian podcasts. Oh, there you go. Right? I loved how the white man was not the hero mm-hmm. of this film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They were not painted in any, you know, overarching, you know, heroic way. And they were also not caricatured either. I think that was a very accurate and honest representation of these white males that I've um, been encountered with. And that's another thing that I love. What I didn't like was, um, I think sometimes the verbiage was a little contrived. Mm. Um, one example I must give is when Waverly was like, you don't know the power that you have over me. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who says that? <laughs> yeah, who says that? What Asian American daughter says that to her mom? Like, I yeah. think because of the nature of how, you know, mom we are on yeah. words, mm. I think we can convey it without saying, mom, you don't know the what power yeah. you have over me. One look, one statement. So those things, like, on an artistic level, I thought it was a little uh, contrived and not as accurate yeah 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 but i do wonder if amy tan or wayne wang had to do it in a way that you know the popular the the public can kind of understand because they might not know our culture Mm. as readily as we do so they had to do it. it's a it's a cultural subtlety that exactly you wouldn't understand so you have to have that line to to be able to characterize it you got i'm under your spell i know (laughs) Uh, it was so yeah, cringy. I, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, though. That's a good one. That, that's yeah. That's yeah. really good. Okay. How about you, Alan? What's your love it and leave it? Yeah, I'll start off with my leave it. Um, you know, uh, Kat, it's funny that you talked about the white male caricatures in here. Uh, my my leave it is actually a derivative of that. So I I really love Rose's story. But one thing that irked the shit out of me was that at the end she's like. I demand a divorce. And he's like, whoa, you have your power back. I I love you. Let's make it work. And it just, it bothered the fuck out of me because one thing that I loved about Rose's story was, you know, her her overarching arc, overarching arc, her arc <laughs> is that she finds her power. She, she doesn't contrive to like oh let's do what ted wants whatever she finds who she is yeah and and she she has this discovery of like what makes her happy and then all of a sudden he's like oh yeah great i put you through this fucking trial of hercules's story and now i'm falling back in love with you and like this don't worry about the fact that i i cheated on you let's get back together and at the end they're together again and i'm like what no, like this is ant- this is the antithesis of of her arc of discovering who she is and not needing to be bowed down by this guy who doesn't give a crap about her. It, it, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. That was definitely my leave it. What if they went to marriage counseling? <laughs> Possibly, but maybe they should have had a scene on that or something. <laughs> um, my my love it though is definitely um the ability to weave in and out of the multiple storylines. And I think this is this goes back to how well they produced the movie and how well they were able to thematically show the story because like it was a bit confusing on my first watch, but then I watched it again and again and it made me realize, hey, actually all this makes sense. So they they just they, they show one vertical of a family's traumatic experience and how it coincides with the next generation. There's themes involved in that, and then it jumps to the next one and then it 
At first, it was a bit confusing to me. Even on our first podcast recording this, it was confusing to me. Wait, you're again, telling like, me now that it was confusing <laughs> you when you did the recording? <laughs> yeah, but then now I'm telling you that like... You're like, I was barely there in that first time. <laughs> I was too young, inexperienced. <laughs> but but now... By like, the way, it was only about a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so after watching it, it made me realize, hey, like there was... It, 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 there was actual thought put behind how they told the story it was confusing at first but now that i realize how they portrayed it and made a lot of sense and it allowed me to better connect with each of the each of the the mother and daughter's story so that i can like understand the trauma they went through and then now i can hop onto the next story it allowed it was like a instead of like um when you have a large burger you don't just eat it all the way through you you take it in bites and you take it in like <laughs> measured calculated steps and and i thought it that's how what that's what wayne did what an analogy i got to commend him it was great what an analogy <laughs> someone's craving uh, burgers ellen <laughs> and wayne are on a first name basis i know, I know right <laughs> wayne my wayne, man great wayne job <laughs> oh wayne that wayne Wayne, yeah, but th- those are my oh, love man. and leave it. Yeah, I love it. That's yeah. nice, Alan. So a couple of years from now, you better not tell me. But hey, you know that second Joy Luck know, recording right? we did? I was still confused. <laughs> oh my god! Don't scrap this one. I really love it. <laughs> Sparknotes.com, guys. Sparknotes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, um, I will share my love and leave it. I'm gonna go a little bit um, granular, and then I'm gonna go big picture. So my love it. I love Lindo's escape story. So I just absolutely enjoyed that whole scene and her story of her escaping her situation in China, mainly because you have to be absolutely diabolical to come up with a plan like that, to take a piece of intel just by eavesdropping some servant lady and then go to the ancestors and then make this whole scene. Uh, It's great. And to be able to convince everyone. And it's also quite consistent with her character, too, because, you know, in the future when she's older, she lies about June's mother being alive when she wrote to her sister to China. <laughs> I was like, come on, Lindo. <laughs> A little honesty would be great. So, um, but, but her storyline, I, I absolutely love it. She was my favorite um, out of all the four. My leave it. So my leave it turns a big picture wise, and this is in retrospect. It's kind of a bit of it's a bit of a bummer how this movie received such critical praise and it was well-received generally amongst Hollywood and critics all alike and obviously with Asian American communities. Yet it took. It wasn't until Crazy Rich Asians, I think you mentioned it, Alan, mm-hmm. um, in 2018 did another big time majority Asian cast yeah. show up on the big screen. So, and this isn't, you know, this isn't Joy Luck Club's fault really, but it just proved how the film was way ahead of its time and how Hollywood was not yet willing to invest in Asian American stories. So I just felt like that was the thing that I, you know, I think I wish it get, it caught on a lot sooner. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Uh, let's talk about some of the big themes of the movie. What makes this film such a classic definition of the immigrant experience? Well, first of all, the mothers, they're not from America. They've immigrated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that struggle between how they raise their now second-generation daughters, right? What does June say when she's telling that story about the swan? More um, sorrow than Coca-Cola or mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. yeah, Something like that, like these cute nuances, it just shows that she has to be a bridge between, you know, the Chinese culture and then now she's being, you know, raised as an American, you know, daughter. Right. And 
it speaks to a lot of the struggle between how she's now navigating through her life in America, because there are some like very interwoven Chinese cultural, you know, implications in her life. But then now she's American, so she has to be the bridge. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's a lot of struggle. You guys have a struggle too with your parents and being American-born Chinese, you know,、mm -hmm. individuals, and myself too. One of the the key characteristics I think in June's character is that she does not speak Chinese. I don't believe she speaks English only, right? In the end, she speaks Chinese to her sister. That's correct.、Like、she does. Like, yeah, it was Wait, like bad she Chinese.、Understand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's not like fluent in Chinese because I remember she was like talking、right. the the auntie scene, and she was like, "Hey, what do you mean? What are you talking about?" Kind of thing. Right, right, right. right. And she, in so she in mahjong, yeah, in mahjong, right? Because they're because、yeah. they were like kind of game planning. So, and that's the same situation with me. It's like I'm not fluent in Vietnamese or Chinese. You know, if anything, I can understand a little bit, but I don't speak the language. And I used to be able to speak and understand a lot more when. When we were younger, because we were around our family a lot, and they spoke the language、mm -hmm. a lot more. But over time, as I hung out with more people that only spoke English, I eventually lost it. And part of me does feel like I've lost a little, little bit of that culture, and wish, wish I kept the language. Do you ever think about like learning it to be more connected to, like right now? Because you're not, you're never too old to learn. Yeah, that's true. Your mother tongue. Yeah. yeah. I I have I will say when I was in Vietnam, it was nice being back in the motherland. Back in the motherland,、yeah. uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb though. So it was like, like they're like ten <laughs> inches taller than everyone else.、Yeah. They're like you're an American, you dress like an American, you act like an American, you walk around like an American. <laughs> I'm like, damn, is it that obvious? Even when I was talking to like international people, they're like,、uh, you're from California because I guess Californians have an accent. But <laughs> after that,、uh, while I was there in Vietnam, I. I Maybe after a couple of days into it, being surrounded and you know engrossed in that whole culture, some of the language actually did come back. I mean, most of the time it was like at the restaurants because I was very keen on ordering a lot of food.、Um, <laughs> oh, the food there so good.、Ugh. But、uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like I reverted back and was able to recall some of the the, the language that I had. But when I got back, I thought about. I thought about learning or like doing Duolingo or something in Vietnamese.、Yeah. Uh, to be quite honest, it just fell off. I have no excuse, but I have thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think on the immigrant experience, you know, not to belabor the point more, but it, I absolutely agree a hundred percent. I think、um, as a Are we first generation? It's first generation, right? Yeah.、Uh, yeah, Cat. What's your definition of first yeah, generation? Yeah, it's always a bit, but I'm curious what your thoughts are, Cat. Well, it. In the Korean community, we regularly call—I call myself second generation、mm. because we're the second generation of people with their feet in America,、mm. and our parents—they're the first to come over here. But I know that、oh, there's like、mm. some people call us the first generation because we were actually born, born right. here. Okay, right? Okay, that's the、yeah. the latter definition is the one that at least I've always been using. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've seen it used both, but in our community, I'm considered second gen,、mm. and we say it in our vernacular. I'm second gen,、gotcha. mm. the first gen. Yeah, gotcha. All right, let's take the average of both. Let's say first and a half. So, <laughs> but there is an no, actual definition of one point five generation.、Oh, there, is. there is a one point five. Yeah, there is.、Shit. There's um, it's like people in Korea they like had some education and life in Korea, but then they moved. When they were young, but not that young. Oh, 
Young but not that young. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> There's a litmus test to that. It's based on how much education you had oh, there. That's what my mom said. Interesting. Because it's enough for it's enough for assimilation there. Mm. But then now you're here. Oh, yeah. okay. Then I will. Yeah. All right. So a, a generation at three sevenths. There you go. Um, <laughs> there you go. For, yeah. For for me, I think it's I I I definitely had parents that are like super strict growing up as well, and um, I, I had a bit of a tiger, not a tiger mom, but I had a tiger dad. And he was always really hard on yeah. me to like, yeah, I know. He was really hard on me. I can to confirm. Be, yeah. <laughs> it was hard on me to like uh, act a certain way. He didn't want me to hang out with certain friends. And he was always on my ass about who I, who I was going to be. And I really neg- yeah. hated him for that. Um, but as like, as, as I've grown older and, um, grown up, like I've learned that I am appreciative of what the work that my dad and my mom did, uh, because I, I'd like to think I've turned out okay. And uh on that point too, like I've I've gone out of lanes to to be to be honest with you, using Duolingo to relearn my Vietnamese. So like I pra- I, I did practice a lot more before I started school again. But like prior to that, like I was on Duolingo like every single day for like at least an hour. Um, so my Vietnamese like has improved like significantly. It, it's gone back because I haven't been practicing as often. But like the moment I graduate, are you I, doing I, a commercial for Duolingo right now? Is that what you're doing? You know, I wonder if they can sponsor me. Duolingo, the language. If you want to, you know, bridge the cultural Connect gap. With, yeah, exactly. There you go. Actually, that's a good idea. <laughs> Let's see if we can reach out. But but I think for Duolingo, it's been beneficial to me because uh, when I go home now, I, I, I force myself to just speak Vietnamese mm. to my parents only. And, and I, I work to make sure I bridge that gap because I think it's important to me that I retain that and I don't lose that as I get older and eventually have kids. Yeah, I agree. I think that is a beautiful summation. I really do. Because yeah. I think which with each subsequent generation, our culture or our mother culture, it gets diluted, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's through no fault of our own. It's just we're in America now and we're just yeah. building our generation here. So like whatever language level we have, our next generation, they're going to have even more diluted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if I have if I have kids and they can't even pronounce fa correctly, oh, I will smack them because I want to make sure that like those things, as you mentioned, does not get diluted. Fo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they ever say fo, I'm like, ooh, I'm sending you back. <laughs> but then I think, you know, going back to Joy Love Club, the characters there, they do have an element of I want to preserve some of the things that right. my mother mm. has, you know, instilled in me as a Chinese person, but... You know, now I'm American and I'm allowed to interweave both of them. Why can't I be both, right? That's a fair point. I think for us, especially for me as young, we want to make our parents proud. I think everyone, most people do want to make our parents proud. The issue sometimes is we don't know how or we're unable Mm -hmm. because we're not necessarily speaking the same language, uh, literally or, you know, figuratively. like we just can't compare experiences because they grew up in us in their homeland and we grew up in a different land again talking uh about first and second generations but even those who were born in the homeland but maybe moved to another country when they were super young and so they really only have an upbringing that is in the in the land in the country that they grew up with and so it's really yeah. hard to compare i think with something uh, something like in june's case where she just constantly thinks 
I'm not good enough. You're always comparing me to Waverly. And she's always got this weird rivalry with Waverly. But in the end, she realizes it's like, no, it's just like I just have high hopes for you. There's nothing wrong with that. And you have the best heart out of all of them. You've got style. You can't Mm. teach style. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But then like going even further to our earlier conversation about communication, how much more like hurt could we have prevented if her mom just said that from the jump? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Girl, right. no, I am, I, I am proud of you. You know, Waverly's our guest. We right. just need to like, you know, appease her for a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but you know, your heart is good. Girl, I got you. Yeah. You know, things like that. But then that's just our Asian way. Yeah. So. Right. They should spend less time cutting fruit and more time telling <laughs> us that they actually care about us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but you man. know, it's, it's a great reminder that our parents do love us because Deeply. what they don't say in our house, you know, we do see it through this movie, yeah. you know, mm. because it's scripted and it's telling us. You know? <laughs> Annie's Tea Cakes is an Oakland-based food company on a mission to provide plant-based Chinese food options to the world. As a longtime plant-based eater, Annie started this business to create a way for herself and others to enjoy the foods often shared with family, but don't fit a plant-based diet. The journey started with vegan Taiwanese pineapple cakes. Follow Annie's Tea Cakes on Instagram or go to annieteacakes.com to place your order today. Let's talk about the mother-daughter relationships and the four different storylines. Is there any pair that that you just really connected with out of the four? Your was your favorite. Not saying it's better, but just your favorite. Oh, I don't know. I love them all. I really love them all. I would say that I liked Lindo and Waverly's uh, relationship the least. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did. I mean, it's not bad, but I just. I didn't connect with it, but I would say that Suyun and June. Right. It's more like me. My mom's very hard on me. Oh, the piano. Oh my God. <laughs> when she's like dragging her, oh, I'm man. just like, wow. Wow. My mom used to do that. She would used to like force me to do that. But like exactly what you both said, they just want better things for us. It's not to make us any like upset or you know, but they just want better things for us to make us cultured. And I really appreciate that. Mm. You know, that piano scene, because <laughs> I, I think I mentioned this in the first recording too. My, my oh, mom. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, my mom, real, not piano, but she really wanted me to play the violin. Oh. Like, hardcore. And I, I didn't I know that. I, I still have it at my parents' place. It's like this little baby violin. I, but oh. my mom, I remember too, she... She like I I've, I'm watching that I think I've seen a Joy Luck Club now and I remember my mom yelling at me because she was telling me like hey I and Vietnamese like I paid for these fucking lessons you're going mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember the the guy who taught me was this like old Vietnamese or Chinese dude <laughs> teaching me in his garage and I I vividly remember like putting the chalk on the on the strings of the violin uh bow. And then, like, playing over and over again, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And mm-hmm. then crying because I didn't want to keep doing this. And I remember it was near the East Ridge Mall in San Jose. And I remember she picked me up and she was just like, oh, like, how was practice? And I was like, I hate this, mom. I just want to play video games or something. 
and but ultimately i won out um i didn't play the violin after like i think a couple months to be honest with you i mastered twinkle twinkle little star so there's that uh but <laughs> that's the only song uh, though, huh? that's the only song that i know and and here my my fiance she's like she she related to that portion a lot because she played the violin so she, when, when we watched that film she was thinking oh god traumatic experiences again <laughs> so very similar to you cat how about you ray I tried playing the drums. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> okay, so I've told this story before too, but okay, so I could I tried to play the drum. I say drum without the S because I could only afford a snare drum, and so I <laughs> oh I literally just had a snare drum and I just practiced hitting the snare drum for a little bit. I didn't keep at it for that long because I knew right off the bat that I was not going to be a drummer. It's one of the things where I knew at a young age <laughs> this was not my pathway in life. Plus, it was also because when I wanted a drum set, a drum set is like thousands of dollars. And my mom was like, hell no, we're not getting you a drum set. Plus, we lived in a neighborhood and we didn't have any soundproofing in our house. So practicing would have been really, 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 really tough. But, you know, I know how to tap my feet pretty good. Yeah, (laughs) We're also great singers. So there's that. Oh, you guys are? No. I'd like to think so. Especially karaoke. Oh, my God. As as much as I can auto tune. We're going to the West Coast. We're going to karaoke. Oh, oh yeah, well, I'm, in us, I'm always man. I'm always down for karaoke. That's for sure. Yeah. I will yeah. say yeah. I'm not good at singing, but performing karaoke because it's about the performance. <laughs> no one wants a good singer in karaoke, right? Because that you, yeah. if you're a good singer in karaoke, um, it's like okay. <laughs> yeah, hell no, hell no. We like performers. We like off yes. off key. We want yeah. to belt it out. Yeah, that's. That's how we do it. Yes. Yeah. I, I want someone to like get some of the notes, but when it comes to the really high notes, the, the voice crack a little bit. Just so. Go to falsetto and just get yeah. on your knees. And- <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my karaoke style. But Ray, who was your favorite uh, mother-daughter duo? I liked Lena's, mainly because she was very honest in terms and like confronted her husband and threw mm. that thing at his face. And was just like, you need to step up. So I know that early on, some of the the movie received criticism in terms of like, oh, you're you're portraying Asian males in a poor light, yada yada yada. But honestly, I was kind of like, yeah, that's not the point. That's not the point of the movie. Yeah. Like, it, they're what they're trying to do is to mm-hmm. make it about them again. It's like, oh, you're trying to portray, right? And I, and it's not to say like Asian bad Asian males aren't existent in the world but i think it was more of like you have to take it into the context of the movie that's my take on it Mm. but lena's was was one of my favorites because um she really exemplified the fact that it's like a partnership or marriage should be equal but at the same time sacrificial in a way too like you want to be able to compromise in between your relationships Mm. and that was something that just stuck out to me that i i think was also like a a subplot underneath this movie yeah, it was Very a whole was that that scene was their their relationship, her and uh, Harold. Yeah, I, it was just terrible. He was like, "Oh, so we bought this. Here's down to the penny, the split down." And I was thinking, Jesus Christ, <sighs> that was just too much. I mean, I go to Costco and like we, my my fiance and I, we Venmo each other, but both sides we just like, it's not that big of a deal. It's whatever, right? <laughs> and I I like the fact that Lena's mother Ying Ying supported her leaving her her husband because we know that sometimes that is also uh, a challenging aspects of a culture mm. where divorce is you know um not taken lightly and it's frowned upon but for her mom to 
essentially push her and compel her to be like, yeah. this guy is not right for you. You know, the whole foreshadow right. of the vase tipping over on that unstable table and all that stuff. So I thought that was really important too. Yeah, it was. And I think this is a nice time to segue into my kind of question to you guys. I think the reason why that was there was these mothers were empowering their daughters to break the generational curses and the traumas that they've experienced, mm. you know, like why did, why is she so like encouraging of the divorce, right? Because there's a man in her life is not making her happy, is not fulfilling her, is almost like mentally abusing her, right? All of the men in their lives. So that's why I think the mothers are really, you know, encouraging them to you know, break the generational trauma. And even on May, she says it blatantly to Rosalind. So then she tells her, you know, I was brought up the Chinese way. This was my traumas. What are you going to do now, bitch? Choose <laughs> what you're going to do. Damn. She basically tells her daughter, choose, break it now. Yeah. So I, I felt so powerful when I heard that because she's basically telling us, don't live in my trauma past you break it and you become another generation that doesn't mm. need to suffer all of this. Mm. So, yeah. What do you guys think about that and generational traumas and curses? I think you're absolutely wrong. No, I was kidding. I, I know I, <laughs> this is exactly like on my, on my sec, uh, second and third rewatch, what I've noticed and why I appreciate how they told the story. It was uh, a mother's daughter, a mother's trauma and how that trauma there's a there's a resolution that applies to the daughter's current situation. So I, I thought the way they told it was very profound. I love the storytelling aspect and I love the fact that like the trauma the mothers persevered through acts as a way to for them to pass on their knowledge to their daughters because you know we think as first generation or first and three quarters, whatever, uh, we think our parents don't really understand us. They don't know what we're going through. But the realities from this movie depicted is that they have gone through something similar. They learned what they learned and they were able to teach right. us the lessons uh, from the stories, from their experience that will guide us in our next step. So that's what I thought was really, really powerful. So absolutely agree, Kat. Right. Mm. That's, a, that's a really good point. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the next point that you brought in, which I thought it was an interesting take is, you know, the social value of women. I oh, consider... Cats rolling the, her eyes here. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it just... Go uh, for it. I mean, thinking about what's in the on the news, mm. we would be remiss if we didn't even mm -hmm. acknowledge what is society valuing Asian women as. And it's not really that high. We are just, you know, pieces of... I don't even know what our value is. You know, like if you see all the violence against Asian women, against Asian women, you have to wonder. They don't place a lot of value in us, and that's why so much is happening against Asian women. All this violence, all this death. And 29 years ago, this movie was made, and it told us society's value on Asian women was not that high either. Mm. So, almost three decades later. Where is our value? And we need to cherish Asian women and put a lot of value in what they bring to society and what they mean in the context of family and, you know, the society at a greater, you know, scale. Mm -hmm. And 
it just made me wonder, wow, 30 years and we're still valued so low as nothing. Sadly, even within the context of the family, the husbands, they value them so low also, mm-hmm. right? Even generationally from the mothers and then now the husbands that they were married to, so little value. And, you know, I want to share a little bit personally too. And I noticed that, you know, my father doesn't place a lot of value on my mom mm-hmm. in the past. So yeah, it really hurts me to see that. Wow. I mean, you th- you think about the the roles that the moms played in their early years, right? One is purely there just to produce grandson and uh, Auntie Lindo. One is there just right. to be uh, a concubine. One is there just to play the uh, gold digger wife who's married right. to like a rich, popular man. And it poses these roles in the beginning uh, with this film is to say like, you know, this is this is what outside society kind of perceives what women ought to be or should be yeah. because they're they're placing these roles. But if you dive deeper, if you dive deep enough, and you hear their stories and you understand their narratives a little bit more, you can see that they're a lot more powerful and more empowering than what you know what many people perceive. And you know sometimes it works out. Like I said, in, at the end of the story, Ted is still Ted, or he's around. Um, who knows what happened in that storyline? So um, that beat. <laughs> Ted, he kind of looks like a young Matthew Perry. Anyone oh God, catch that? Yeah, yeah. Kind of. I thought it was Matthew Perry in the beginning when I first watched. That. I was like, is that Chandler? <laughs> Actor's name is Ted Jordan. Ted Jordan. Wow. No, that's the character. Oh, no, no, name. no, sorry, Andrew McCarthy. No. Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy. Wait, you guys don't know him? You guys don't know like him from like Shrek? Sixteen Candles? Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe I'm dating myself for knowing him. <laughs> When I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, go back to Molly Ringwald in 16 Candles. <laughs> I knew that he was in ha- 16 Candles, but I don't remember him in the movie, though. I haven't seen the movie oh. in a long time, though. That That's why. Did he play a big p- role? He's a schmuck. Oh, he plays a schmuck? He was like the main character. Oh, I don't know why oh, wait, I don't remember. Was it 16 16- no, Sixteen Candles was another handsome guy, but Andrew McCarthy- Was another handsome guy. Did, I mean, did you, Kat, in that scene where Rose is talking to Ted's mom- and Ted kind of comes over, oh, yeah, yeah, and and checks his checks his mom. What did you think about that scene? Did you, did you kind of get a sense of like white shining armor kind of thing? I didn't think that was realistic at all. Oh, because one thing that my mom told me, and it does like it's imprinted in me. She said, "In America, they will never let you be a part of their world, no matter how they make it seem," and that phrase came to my mind when i saw that because look what happened next right when they're in the lovey phase he's like oh mom you made a fucking asshole out of yourself i was like damn right right but then later on what happened he's the douche yeah exactly because he's like man you know my world's different to my wife's you know things like that you know this goes right back to his value on asian women he's like oh like when i'm trying to like exactly or pursue her like all these things but the moment like i realize like oh she's an asian woman he starts devaluing her worth immediately it's ah, i hated that probably Mm. yeah i will say if I said fuck to my mom, I would not be alive today. Woo. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, backhand, backhand. <laughs> be good. I'd be, I would be Thanos backhand. dusted for sure. I would just, <laughs> just not, not be around. I would never say something like that. That is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the legacy of this movie. We talked a little bit about how Crazy Rich Asians was 
the next big majority Asian uh, films uh, in Hollywood. And, you know, I know that that huge gap in between there, I certainly don't want to, you know, I don't want to discount the importance of the many indie films that probably came out in between there, right? But I have to say, with, with Joy Luck Club, I've said this before, there wouldn't be a Crazy Rich Asians without Joy Luck Club. So many people should continue to recognize this film as the, the, the genesis uh, in the pantheon of Asian American films. And I just hope that it continues um, to do you recognize as so in future years. But Kat, what's, what do you think the legacy of this film is to you? Again, I have to date myself. It became, you know, it was 1993 when it came out, right? Yep. I was 10. And as a 10-year-old little girl watching this, like the fact that I felt so recognized and I felt so acknowledged in society, I felt like someone knew something about my experience. Mm. You know, I wasn't able to verbalize it or put it into words because I was only 10. But, you know, 30 years have passed and, you know, I've lived... I've um, experienced, I've also gotten a very overpriced liberal arts education <laughs> in sociology, which helps, which helps me now verbalize and socialize all the, you know, concepts and themes yep. that I felt when I was 10. So I must say this legacy, it's just very, very powerful. And the fact that the breadth and depth of this movie is still impacting me as like a almost 39 year old, it's got to speak you know, volumes. And I know that we compare it to other, you know, Asian films like Crazy Rich mm. Asians, but I think that's apples to oranges. Mm. And the, the only common factor that they have is that they have an all Asian cast, but the themes are different. Their motivations are different. The directors, what their yeah. goal and the message that they want to send are different. Like Joy Luck Club, it's very pure. It's about our experiences, our traumas. It's about healing. Crazy rich Asians, visually appealing, rich people. Yeah. Asians are beautiful. It glitz, bam. Yeah. Exactly. Popping bottles. Exactly. <laughs> but then I don't think they should be on the same spectrum. And I, I mm. do fear that a lot of people are grouping them together just because it's an Asian film. Mm. It's an Asian film. We need to talk about it together. You know, do we talk about Michael Bay and ask him, Hey, what about the traumas in that film? Like, uh, Pride and Prejudice or The Godfather? Are you, um, incorporating that when you're uh, blowing up that boat mm. or blowing up that building? Hmm. You know, we never do that to these white films. Mm. So I definitely think. We go back to Joy Luck Club and say, let's use that as a foundation to break off and make more movies like this. Not to say Crazy Rich Asians was bad. It's just another theme and it's just two separate kind of genres. Hmm. Yeah, imagine Mike asking Michael Bay about, oh, what are these themes that you had in these movies and how does it relate to Armageddon when what's his face trying to kill him? Bruce Willis <laughs> was trying to kill himself to say, it's like, uh, what does this have to do with anything? But yeah, I totally get it. Do you think that we would ever reach a point in time in the future where uh, there would be so many Asian American films that it just becomes so normalized that maybe only the purest of film enthusiasts and conversationalists like us will remember Joy Luck Club? But people will say, Joy Luck Club, I've never heard of that. And then we can be those people to be like, oh, <laughs> let me tell you. Oh, man. Right. No, you're right. But you know what? It's paying homage, right? We need to. We need to know the classics. We need to know what happened in the past so that we can be better. And that also goes artistically also, you know? You know, think about films made by John Singleton and uh, Spike Lee, mm -hmm. who I love. They made a niche 
kind of genre of film, and I love it because it has become the norm. They've become synonymous with that type of um movie, with that um specific ethnic community, and they're just as ubiquitous as white films. Love it. I think the goal should be paint it all yellow now, and I I want to yes, see it. yeah, yeah. I I think. Ubiquitous is a good way to do it. Just becomes it's become so commonplace mm-hmm. that yep. it's just part of normal pop culture. Right. Um, speaking of future movies, in 2018, Ronald Bass, who's uh, one of the producer and and he's a screenwriter for the 1993 film, they I guess he did an interview and said that a sequel is in the works, and right now it's just waiting to be picked up by a studio or a network. Both a TV series pilot script and a sequel feature film script have been made. Let's go. And the intention is to reunite the original cast for the sequel, making making the film's mothers into grandmothers and the daughters into mothers with millennial oh. children in a three-generational story. Oh my what God. do you think of the sequel? Do you think it, a sequel should be made? Because, you know, with any sequel, you run that risk of it being terrible. Yeah. Um, I did chew on this question and I'm going to say no. Don't want, you don't want a sequel to be made. Yeah. Whoa. I personally probably would like to know what happened or whatever, but I think you got to pull out when you're on a, on the high. Oh, sorry. Did you say pull out? (laughs) (laughs) I, I. I don't know what the term is. Like, you have to get out. Oh, you have to get out. You have to get out when you're on a high. Oh, my God. Guys. Guys, come on. Come on, Alan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. You have to get out when you're, like, on the right, high, right. right? And I think Joy Look Up, it was just phenomenal. And, like, I don't want it to be ruined with a sequel mm-hmm. with modern-day jargon vernacular. Yeah. I'm sure, like, social media texting social and media. all that is going to be inc- – yeah. And I don't want that to happen. That's kind of how I feel when they made. uh, uh, Did you ever watch Boy Meets World? And then they made the the off the the new one, Girl Meets World. I I was like, it's okay, but I was like, yeah, they just modernized it, and the themes weren't the same. It just didn't work. Yeah, they did that with How I Met Your Mother. They made a How I Met Your Father show that I started watching. No, they did. It's with um, gosh, what's her name? She played Lizzie McGuire. Oh, uh, 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 Hillary Duff. Hillary, yeah, yeah. She's the main protagonist, yeah. So, Alan, you're saying you don't want a sequel to be made. I think it's a little bit of lightning in a bottle. And it, it, as much as I would like to see the story continued, it's very similar to when I played Final Fantasy X. I love the story, the way Cetus <laughs> died and whatever. And then you had X2, which wasn't that... It continued the story, but it was a bit weird. Uh, it's kind of never like as that. good as the first. It's never as good as the first. And and to Kat's point about like comparison between Joy Luck Club and like Crazy Rich Asians, uh, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think the better comparison in terms of like how Joy Luck Club has helped certain Asian films grow and, and grow from that space is Minari. Mm. That film is, in my opinion, one of the best portrayals of an Asian American family. Uh, ever since Joy Luck Club, mm-hmm. because it tells a very true story of a Korean immigrant family that moves to America and tries to make their way. And so there's the trauma of two generations, young kids, Alan Kim, MVP, yeah. love that kid. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful. So that that's what I would say. Like, if they can branch off of more stories like that, that's what I consider is a true win. Right. Agreed. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say I would like to see a sequel. And here's You why. want that Final Fantasy X-2. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's why. And I think they will do a decent or a pretty good job because Hollywood Niles knows the value of authenticity and how the, how the audience will receive the movie. And so they, I like to think that they would take extra care in putting this movie together. Mm. Give me Lulu Wong attached as a director <laughs> and get all the original cast. Get me, um, I'm trying to think of popular Chinese American actors right now, like Lana Condor, who, who is, who's she's Vietnamese. Um, well, she's Vietnamese, but okay. But she plays Korean into all the boys I've loved before. So <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. But give me like some solid actors and a solid script writer, maybe in an Adele Lim that's attached as a screenplay writer. And to, so yeah. all throughout the movie, I think they would be able, and you know, obviously people who have seen and was impacted to the original film, maybe get Kat Kim as producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, we would bring be able to in. yeah we would be able we, i feel like with that level of care throughout it would be a potentially a really good sequel can i ask you this so what themes could we possibly see in a cast like that for 2022 or 2023 so like let's say june waverly um Mm-hmm. You know, Rosie and Lena, they're now, what, mothers to teenage mm-hmm. daughters? Yeah. Right? So they're playing the age that their mothers were. Right. And then they have daughters, and then their daughters have daughters? Or they... I think it would just be... Just three generations. Yeah, just three generations. Teenage, okay. Yeah. So then what themes would we touch upon there? Or how would we even construct it? So they would be, I guess if they were millennials. Yeah. That's why. You have to get out when you're high. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know because I would love it. I would love it, but just because I love the original film, I just don't want to, you know, taint the integrity of that. I would like to see the daughters in the '93 film: June, Rose, uh, Anmay, and Waverly. Lena. 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 Sorry, Lena. Yep. Lena, Rose, yep. Waverly, and June grow up and deal with LGBTQIA plus issues and mm. how we deal with. Uh, anti-blackness in Asian American culture or just Asian culture and then also stop Asian hate, how they deal with those types of issues in today's world. That's what I would like to be interested in seeing. Man, sign me up. I'm I'm the screenwriter. Sell the rights, Raymond. (laughs) Put me on. Put me on. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea, but I just really love the original. I know. I totally get it. Yeah. I must say, I do love seeing the actresses that played the daughters coming into things, you know, recently. Like Tamil and Tomita. I used to think she was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Kumiko in Karate Kid. Mm. And now she reprised her role in um, Cobra Mm -hmm. Kai. She came out. I squealed because I used to, like, love her and think she was so beautiful. Ming-Na Wen. Oh, Ming-Na Wen and Book of Boat. Oh, she, she does not age. I know. Yeah, I think she's yeah. awesome. They, they, none of them have aged. It's just it's, forever Asian youth. It's so true. <laughs> like for our listeners, there's a one true thing. If there's one thing you need to take away is that Asians don't raisin. I mean, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and go to our final segment of the show. Aww. We're going to go through classic. <laughs> I know. It's been a fun conversation. Let's go through our classic MVP. Lots of nominations in this category we can choose from. Alan, 
Let's start with you. Who's going to be your MVP? Yeah, for my MVP, I, I'm going to go back to June. Uh, I know I didn't touch upon her a lot in my original discussion, but I felt that she was MVP because I honestly felt the most connected to her story a bit. I, and not the music thing, but the f- the fact that she worked so hard to get closer with her family through language. And that uh, what really ticked me off or what really made me make her my MVP is at the end when she reconnected with her past got some of that language back and met her half twin sister in China. And it just, I never had, that never happened to me. But the fact that it, the film shows her as the protagonist of the film follows her story the closest in my opinion and closes with her story. It just tells me that like ultimately this, all the traumas going through her life were told from her perspective and like her ending kind of closes the book really neatly to show us and our audience as Asian Americans in 1993 that you can always go back to your roots. Mm. Let me go and then Kat, you're going to take us home, okay? So I'll go cook my Oh my MVP. God, the pressure. No pressure. Oh, no, no pressure. pressure. You got this. Last shot. Shot clock down to zero. Okay. Um, so my MVP, and I thought about this real hard and I was like, I go in the movie, who am I want to go to? And you may be surprised at my pick. But my MVP goes to screenplay writer Ronald Bass and here is why. And I'll make a case for it. So number one, both Amy Tan and Wayne Wang wanted to turn the novel into a film, but were very reluctant to do so. Tan was mainly concerned about basically the studio's scissor handing the main story because it was so complex and robust. And so she felt that they were probably going to dice it up. And Wang was... You know, he was in a moment in his career, in his filmmaking career, where he didn't want to make anything uh, Chinese, where he had a, he, he was making a slew of Chinese movies, but he felt like he was being pigeonholed during this time. And so because of that, it was pretty much all he was known for and what he was only being offered for. So he was at a moment in time where he didn't want to make this movie. But when he read the book, he ultimately wanted to make the movie. But they were both kind of like, how do we turn this? Because, yeah, we're kind of concerned of how it'll, how the studios will We'll bring it to the, to the screen. And number two, so when Ronald Bass was uh, got a chance to read the book, he offered two changes in the film adaption without deviating too far from the main plot. So first, he created a wraparound, which is a device that threads through the film. So in this case, he actually created the, the farewell dinner party. Uh, as a way to kind of bring back and recalibrate the audience. So that was not uh, in the original novel, I won't believe, or at least he kind of used it as a reference point for the audience. And then secondly, he used voiceovers to compress the time when each character was telling their their stories to kind of move the plot along. But at the same time, he didn't deviate too far from it. Both Tan and Wang have been on the record saying they give credit a lot to Ronald Bass in translating the movie uh, of course, without bastardizing the original story. So he's going to be my MVP. Mm. Wow, Professor Ray. That was really good. Wow. Ex- excuse me. You should have ended this because, <laughs> you know, me and Alan were provincial to just I know. the film and oh my the God. characters. And then you, you gave us this history lesson. <laughs> so now I'm not I'm not going to Steph Curry it. Oh, no. Like make you're you're going to take us home. I, I bet you you're going to nail it. Okay. So it's Old Chong. Oh. It's Old Chong, the piano teacher. Yes. More gusto. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I have to say, it, it stems from a personal kind of connection. As a 39-year-old 
versus the 10 year old me. But I really took to Rose a lot.、Mm. And that、um, scene when she's sitting outside in the rain. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> there's just something there. And the reason why is because when she does that and has that confrontation with Ted, at that moment, we know she's made the decision. I am the one that's going to break this curse. I am the one that's going to break this trauma. I will not bring it from this point on to the forward.、Mm. And I know Alan thinks he's a douche because she stayed with him. And, you know, many, many women are like, oh, what are you doing? How the heck、yeah. you are doing? But we do not know the depths of what their marriage、mm, was.、Right. Or、mm. I, I find a lot of strength in women who forgive that infraction、mm, right. of men, especially infidelity. So I think number one, She chose to break the curse and she's saying my love is valued and she communicates that clearly to her husband. Number two, she forgives him, but saying on condition that my value will be what I say it is to、mm. you today and that's going to change. So she's directing, like, directing the、um, dynamics of the relationship、yeah. from this point forward. And then third, I just really like that. At the party when he comes over and you're like, ah,、oh, they're still together. What the bleep? You know, I just feel like from then she's healed from that and she didn't need him to do it. She chose、mm. all of that. He's just, he's just now part of her world. Right. He's just living in it. So I just felt some empowerment of that despite the fact that she stayed with him. You know, I give a lot of credit to women who stay with. Cheating bastard husband.、Mm. <laughs> cheating bastard、there's、husband. So, no, because、yeah. there's so much power in why they stay.、Mm. And I, I have to wonder, like, I'm sure some of the Asian culture has been, you know, imprinted in her and which affected her decision. I don't know, but she chose to stay and she said, this is what's going to happen if I stay. Mofo. Right.、Mm. Yeah.、So. She sets the turfs and she's, I'm wearing the pants in this relationship. It, I will、exactly. tell you when you can go pee and poo, okay? <laughs> That's what、exactly. she says. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That was a solid one, actually. That was a good guy. <laughs> I like that one. That was a very solid,、oh. solid、uh, ending, last shot, buzzer beater. Good way to bring、oh. us home, Kat. Amazing. Way to bring us home with that MVP. Thank you. <laughs> so, we're going to come to the conclusion. Kat, is there anything that you know, maybe you're working on or you want to tell our listeners something, anything that you want to plug? This is your moment to, to do a little shameless plug. Yeah, I mean, things are in the works.、Um, my goal as a creative is, like I said, paint this town yellow, and I want it to be so yellow. Yeah. You know, I want to be the Starbucks. Yeah. Of, you know, <laughs> Just age, everywhere you look. Age, <laughs> Exactly. And for me, I want to tell everyone else who is a creative who wants to make something, just make it.、Mm. You know, make it bad, make it good, just make it though, so that we are as, you know, we are, like we said earlier, ubiquitous. Because how many, how many films do we see about, you know, Emily White、mm. Chick? You know, she falls in love. <laughs> There's a film about it. Emily White yeah, Chick, yeah. she goes to the store. There's a film about it. Emily White Chick, she gets broken up by her boyfriend and she gets left at the altar. There's a film about it. Shots fired at Emily in Paris. <laughs> oh, is that, is, there's a show、you、like that? Oh, there's、lost. a show. Oh, you didn't know. Yeah. Oh, well, em- Emily, Becky, Lisa, Danielle, or whoever, right? But then there's so many、Ashley. out there. Why can't we?、Mm. I want to make a bad film too. 
I want to get one, you know, rotten tomato just because it's out there and just, just be out there. Paint the town yellow. That's all I want to say. Yes. Thank you so much, Kat, for being on this pod. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Tune in next time, y'all, for another episode of Real Asian Podcast. See ya. Bye.